Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. This morning, we're going to end our little mini-series on being fully engaged with God. We talked firstly about what that means for us as individuals who follow Christ. And then last week, remember, we uh, talked about distraction and how we can avoid distraction, how we can lean into the Lord's presence and become more fully engaged with Him. This morning, what I'd like to offer is um, what that looks like for us communally corporately to be engaged with God means to be engaged with the church. Uh, The big C church, you are a part of something larger than yourself. And we'll get into more of what that means. And then next week, headed through Advent, we're going to begin a new series uh, called For the Sake of the World. And we're going to be talking about mission and how God has called His church to be His hands and feet to the world through Advent. There was a group of students who were living in Germany after World War II, and they were tasked with um, cleaning up and rebuilding a, uh, a smaller church in uh, Strasbourg, I believe. And as they were cleaning and uh, cleaning up from all of the bombing that had happened and all the rubble that was all about the place, they came across a statue of Jesus. And the statue of Jesus, they found, uh, largely remained intact, except for some of the shards of plaster or whatever uh, from uh, shrapnel had uh, taken his, had sheared his hands off. And so there's a statue of Jesus without any hands. And they, the students went to the pastoral leadership who scoured the town for a sculptor to fix the statue until the, the leadership of the church made a decision. And underneath that statue, there was in quotes, Jesus' words, come unto me. And what the leadership of the church decided to do was to take off that little placard that said, come unto me. And they said, leave the statue as it is without any hands. And they replaced that little message with, Christ has no hands but yours. And I just thought that was a powerful story. And whether the origin of the story is true or not, because if you were to Google it, you'd find that the same thing happened in France after World War II, and the same thing happened in San Diego after a statue of Jesus was vandalized. What the church leadership in all of those different locations, wherever the origin of the story was, decided is true, that the local church is really the hope of the world. Isn't that crazy? That the local church is the hope of the world. That's just crazy to me. That there is no plan B for the effects of sin and injustice around the world that the Lord Jesus Christ himself chose the local church to change all of that, to usher in the kingdom of God. That his plan for transformation includes ordinary men and women, children like you and me. That's amazing. And so we're going to talk about today what it looks like to be fully engaged with the church. 
And right off the top, I just want to say this isn't a message on uh, doing more. I, that should be the last thing that you hear this morning. That, is, that pastor wants us to do more for God. That's the last thing God needs is you to do more things for him. God never asks us to do more for him. He simply asks us to be available and to say yes to what he's calling us to be. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is where we're going to be primarily this morning, we find this really interesting passage on worship. And Paul talks about the church of Jesus being living sacrifices. And oftentimes the church reads through the first two verses and then stops there. And we say, aren't these a lovely couple of verses on what it looks like to worship Jesus? And they are. I'm not devaluing that. But we fail to read verses 3 through 8. And verses 3 through 8 are really important as to how we do that. How, How do we become living sacrifices in worship to God, in worship to Jesus, Him being the worthy one? How do we become living sacrifices? So we read in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then the church stops. Okay, how do we do that, Paul? Well, Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Here's how you do it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, say everyone, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So right off of the top, Paul says that to become fully engaged Christians, it means to be fully engaged with this larger thing called the body of Christ, which we'll hit on here in a a moment. But first things first, Paul says, it's going to require humility. If we're going to venture into this arena that is spiritual gifts, and each of us using our gifts to bless one another— then we're going to need to learn how to do that in a way that Christ modeled for us and come as a servant rather than to be served. He says humility first. And if you're a Christian, if you claim Jesus as Lord, Paul says you have been given a gift of service by the Almighty God. You get it. 
This is an undeniable fact of Scripture. So, throughout this message, don't sit there and think that this message is for somebody else. This is for all of us, okay? We all get to play. In the vineyard, we like to say that everybody gets to play. We believe in the priesthood of believers. Each of us has a role to play in ushering in the kingdom of God. And so you have a gift. God has given you a gift if you call Jesus Lord. So the question implicit in that is, what are we doing? What are are we doing then? And verse 3, as I had you repeat earlier, says that everyone among you has a gift. And this isn't just for, Paul's not writing to um, the all-stars of the Roman church, those who are uh, vocational ministry or full-time missionaries or just, you know, like the superstar, the mega church pastors. This is for everyone. Everyone gets in on this. Everyone among you. In Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 7, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God's plan is that we be the church. Now, he's the creator. He created everything that we see. He formed you. He knew you. He knit you together. Before you even knew how to speak one word, God saw you and made you. That's pretty powerful. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He doesn't need our help to do anything. It's like, where is it in Job? I think it's in Job, where, uh, where God is, is kind of teasing with Job, and he says, where, where were you when I laid out the heavens? Were you, you were around, weren't you, Job? You, yeah, no, you, you weren't, were you? God doesn't need us. He really doesn't need me to help him across the street like a little old lady. He doesn't need my help. Yet, here's the gold. He chooses to partner with broken men and women like me and you to usher in his plans. Each of us Everyone has a gift. Everyone has it. And we're called to participate with him in that. And humility is so important in that because the platform is so seductive. Now, I'm on a platform before you. And it's so that everybody can see what's going on here. Our platform isn't too large. I've been to some churches where the platform's really tall. I'm like, man... What if that preacher like falls over? That's going to be not so good. You're like, easy, where are you walking? Well, you don't have to fear that here. Platform's not too tall. But the platform can be so seductive. Paul writes in other places in the New Testament to be submissive to one another. When we use our gifts to be clothed with humility. And then he adds, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's really important when we go to talk about being fully engaged with the church that we don't forget who the giver of the gift is. 
Once we forget who the giver of the gift is, we've lost the whole point completely. And so Paul writes, be clothed with humility. He says to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. To each one a measure of faith. This is encouraging for us this morning too. To hear that no one Christian has all the gifts. Aren't you glad that not one person, like there's not one person who claims Jesus on the face of the earth who says, all of compassion is mine. <laughs> all, all worship leading is mine. There would be some who might act that way, but the truth is not one Christian has all the gifts. And God's designed it that way on purpose so that we become interdependent on one another and more dependent on him. He's designed it that way so that we're to take the gift that he's given us and use it to serve others humbly. One person defined humility as an unconscious self-forgetfulness. It's like C.S. Lewis used to say, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So Paul says humility first. And when it's humility first, we can see it, gifts, becoming truly, fully engaged with the church in perspective. And when we see it in perspective, we acknowledge that all we're really bringing to the table is our willingness. All we bring is our yes. And even that is not truly ours at the end of the day. I mean, let's be honest with one another. It was Jesus who put the yes in you. If you have any inclination to serve others, to love others, to bless others, to give to others, Jesus put that there in your heart. I mean, I don't know who you were before you knew Jesus, but before I knew Jesus, I didn't want to give anything to anybody. I didn't want to serve anybody but myself. I mean, if we're really being honest with one another, and this is the way of the world, and that's why using our gifts is so countercultural to what's happening today. It's not climb your own corporate ladder to success, and you, you, may, you, know, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and, and you make a man or woman out of yourself, strong, successful woman in the workplace, and all of this. It's not that. It's that we use the thing that God gave us to bless other people. So humility first, all we bring is our yes. So how, how should a fully engaged Christian think about the church? How should we think about the church if we're fully engaged? We see in Romans 12, 4, and 5, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Okay, this is going to be a tough one. Can everybody repeat after me, I am a gifted person. Ready? I am a gifted person. Great. Let's just get that out of the way. You said it. Congratulations to some of you. I know that was tough for some of you. 
But Paul says it right there. He says that each of us form this thing called the body of Christ. And that each of us play a role in being fully engaged with the church. And so it's this thing of organization versus organism. And a lot of times, especially in the West, we like to think of the church as an organization. But it's not that. You know, like it has this board of directors and people are getting hired and fired and bring the money to the, to the, to the baskets. And, you know, it's, it's this like thing that you got to be the CEO if you're this pastor. And it's really just not that. It's, that's really not how God set the church up to be. It's not an organization. The church of Christ is a living, breathing organism. It's not some country club that you sign up for and you're like, hey, I'm going to play golf on Sunday. You know, it's, an, it's a living, breathing thing. I would say it's the largest organism on the face of the earth. It's this thing that has different members and each playing a whole uh, part in the story of transformation. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the ear and the foot and the toes and how a toe is not an ear and an ear is not a foot. And what Paul is saying is that it's likewise with the church, that there are many different members and each member plays a role in like... uh, to use Christian language, blessing the other. Yeah, that's really what the church is. And in verse 4, notice how he says many. Many is a key word there. Many is a key word there because there is an immensity to who the church is, the global seed church that you are a part of, that bids itself to interconnectedness. That word many is so important for we have many members. That means what I hear in that is that every time someone in the church says, it's not my, catch this, that it's not my responsibility, whatever it is, whenever someone says it's not my responsibility, for that person, someone else says, why don't I experience the ministry of Jesus in my life? Okay, every time someone says, I'm not going to do that, or I don't feel like doing that, it's not, after all, it's not up to me, someone else somewhere says, I'm not experiencing the ministry of Jesus. Why don't I feel like this church is alive? Why don't I feel like I am being ministered to? Why don't I feel the love of God? Do you see the interconnectedness between those two things? And why using our gifts is so important. It's not just immense, the body of Christ. It's diverse. In 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But one And the same Spirit works in all of these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Aren't you glad we're not all the same? You may not be aware of this, but I know many of you in this room. And I know that that you all are different. (laughs) 
you're a different breed when you're Cleveland. There are people sitting in the same row across the room for you who are on vacation this week and will be back next week. There are people in this church who think differently than you. <gasps> there, uh-oh, going to get in trouble for this one. There are people who vote differently than you. <gasps> there are people who choose to raise their kids differently than you do. There, oh, <laughs> oh, there are people who eat differently than you, who make different decisions in what they eat. And you know what? It's the, it's the beauty of the mosaic of the church. That's the beauty of the church of Jesus. That we're not all the same. That Jesus was like, okay, here's the cookie cutter. You guys are about to make Christmas cookies real soon here in a couple months. Here's, here's the cookie cutter for what a disciple should look like. Let's just stamp it out on like millions of Christians through the ages. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? That one member of the body has one gift and another member of the body has another gift and so on and so forth and on and on. And in that, there's a, there's a specificity to who God has created you to be in Jesus that no one else can bring but you. And that's intimacy. That's how well Jesus knows you. Sure, he doesn't need us to get things done for him, but he loves you so much that he put on your life something that no one else can bring but you. As I'm fond of saying, I'm not, I don't agree with the parallel universe conspiracy theory. There is one of you, one. Your fingerprint is unique. There will only be one of you. I'm starting to sound like Mr. Rogers, I know. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you got to remember what Mr. Rogers said. That a lot of the stuff Mr. Rogers said was good stuff. There's only one of you. We're not all the same. And I'm reminded of another illustration to hammer this point home even more, which you will be keenly aware of in a few months, maybe tomorrow, who knows? The weather in Cleveland, it could go either way. It could, go, it could be 90 tomorrow, or we could be in a blizzard. You know, it's really up for grabs. It really is up for grabs. But science has tested it that each snowflake, now the water molecule and I'm going to bring you back to kindergarten science class right now, that each water molecule is the same. It takes, um, it takes the, what is it, two parts, one part? Two parts, one part? Yeah, two, yeah, okay. I didn't listen in kindergarten, apparently. <laughs> but the, okay, so same, same, yeah, same, same. And then it, the way that it expresses itself is that every snowflake is unique. Even after all these years, we still haven't been able to disprove it. So all that stuff that'll be piled up in our parking lot and that will prohibit you from going to work or to school, every snowflake is unique. Where is it, Austin? Is it up there? Oh, that, look at that slide, the slide with the, the picture on it. Q slide with picture on it. Should be on there. Oh, no, it's on the PowerPoint that I put on there. Anyway, every snowflake's unique. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then in verse five, he says, it's not only, um, 
immense and diverse, but we're also unified. So we being many are one body in Christ. Diversity and unity simultaneously. Crazy. One but many, diverse, but in essence the same. Old, young, black, white, rich, poor, men, women, diverse, yet the same. And we realize what a blessing it is to be involved in the church of Jesus when that's what it is, when that's what it is. When we bring our gifts, when we use it, uh, here's where we'll dial in and close out. The body of Christ grows spiritually and numerically. In Ephesians 4, 16, again, Paul writes this. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The whole body grows. I want to draw your attention today, and it's so cool that we hear Little's voices, signs of life at our church, you know, through worship or times when we're supposed to be quiet and you hear, Mommy! I love that. I love that. It's a sign of life, that life is happening. But right now, as we're sitting in here, there are a bunch of K-5 students in the K-5 wing. We're going to take you back to kindergarten again. And how many of you know this morning that you are inhabiting the same body you did in kindergarten, but it is slightly larger? Is anybody keenly aware of that? You're not three foot four anymore, are you? You're just not three foot four. You're the same you, but you're not three foot four. In the same way, Paul says, as you use your gifts, the body of church grows, both spiritually in maturity and numerically. Your gift is pretty important to the body of Christ. And as you use it, the body grows. And what Sarah and I long for here is sort of like at Vineyard Cleveland that the Pareto rule will be flipped on its head. The Pareto rule states that typically within an organism or an organization that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we'd like to see that flipped. Wouldn't that be beautiful? I wonder what that would look like if, if like all of us were engaging our gifts and serving in some capacity to be fully engaged with the church. Lastly, contribution. I'm not talking about money here. And I don't think Paul is either. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let uh, him or her serve. If it's teaching, let him or her teach. Preach, girl, preach. If it's encouraging, let him or her encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let uh, them give generously. If it's leadership, let them govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let them do it uh, cheerfully. So this is about contribution. 
And Paul's saying, use it. Let them use it. A gift is not really a gift unless it's given. Yeah? So to those of you who would say, well, I'm not worthy to use my gift, what could I do? What could I bring to the table? I mean, God sees my heart. God sees my life. I'm not worthy to use my gift. Let me remind you, I've compiled a list of Bible characters, and I just want uh, us to sit with this for a little bit and remind you of who, just who the Bible is comprised of. Because oftentimes we're like, these were great men and women of faith, and they were so amazing, and they were superstars. Are you ready for this? Moses had a stuttering problem. Couldn't get out his words. Gideon was afraid. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David cheated on his wife, and he was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. (laughs) Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while they were praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was immoral. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, twice, three times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) Do you feel worthy to serve God to use your gift? I mean, I know I'm just joking, but God is not waiting around for perfect people. He's just not. God's never been in the business of using perfect people. In fact, he's repelled from those who think they're perfect. Perfect people never get to play in the kingdom of God. It's only the broken ones. He's waiting for a willing people. He calls us and then he equips us. He never, rarely, rarely ever does he equip us and then give the calling for which he's equipped. He always equips the called. And who is called? Everyone. Everyone is called. How many times have I heard the story? I didn't know what I was doing. I just said yes to God. I just said yes to God. I didn't know how to feed the poor. I didn't know how to care for the homeless. I didn't know how to use my gift of compassion. I just said yes. That's always the story. It's never like, I went through eight years of training on feeding the homeless and caring for the homeless, and now I'm almost about ready. It's never that. It's always like, here I am, God, send me. Here I am, God, send me. I'm ready to go. I'm re- I don't know what I'm doing. But I'll say yes, a Christian, when it deals with service and ministry, should always feel out of their depth. If you're feeling out of your depth and who you're called to serve, you're probably in a good posture with God. Yeah, so I wanted to draw your attention to the spiritual gift that Paul didn't list out here. It's not in the Bible. Before you call me a heretic, it's the spiritual gift of availability. It's the spiritual gift to be inconvenienced. God has given you a gift. He has given you a ministry. And for people who do claim Jesus as Lord, and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just go to church when I can. I don't really need the church. 
I'd like to say this. Well, you may not need the church, but the church needs you, man. The church needs you, man. The church needs you to show up, to be all that we can be. I'm not meaning to steal a line from the U.S. Army. <laughs> to, to, be all, to be all that we can be. You might not think that you need the church, but the church needs you. And it's a humbling and vulnerable place for me to say that. To say, hey, vulnerably, we just, to show some transparency, we just need you to show up. We just need you to show up with your gift and start serving faithfully. Start committing. I know many of you are already serving. So don't hear judgment in that. Please don't. But hear the call of Jesus on your life that you do have a gift. You do have somewhere you can make a difference in the body of Christ and in our community. And the church needs you. You can never be what God wants you to be if you try to live your life isolated from the church. You can't separate. It's like um, love and marriage, they say. Go together like a horse and carriage. Man, all kinds of cliches today. It's great. You can't separate the church of Jesus from the person of Jesus. God loves his bride. He loves you. And you can't separate the two. We need you. So ask the Spirit of God. We're back at square one. We're back at the connect card. The connect card, if you click it, will have all kinds of ways that you can get involved. There are so many opportunities to get involved. One of the most important ones, I would say, is signing up for a small group to be a part of community. We don't use our gifts um, outside of the context of community. Have you ever tried using your gift with people who don't know you? It's the worst. You'll feel like it's a performance because that's what it is. And we're not about performing here. When we use our gifts, and that way, grace levels the playing field and we can see it for what it is. It's less about, oh, Eben's an amazing teacher, and it's more like, hey, my friend's sharing this with me. You see, it's less about, oh, they're an amazing worship leader, and it's like, hey, we're going to be worshiping Jesus together. It's less about, that guy's an amazing prayer, and it's more about, hey, where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is in the middle of it. And when you use your gift in community, you learn. So for those of you who would like to preach, you think you'd be a great preacher, I'd say start, start teaching in a small group first. Start teaching there. Lead some discussion there. Those of you who want to lead worship or be a part of the worship ministry, start bringing your gifts to a small group. When you do that, you're able to work in the lab. You're able to see what blesses the heart of God. I would be doing you a tremendous disservice if you wanted to preach, and it was your first, it's hilarious. Some people who visit the church, you guys, it's the best. Their first week here, they'll, they'll wait. They're like, you know, just wait to talk to me. We get done with ministry time, come off the stage, and they're like, I got a word for this church. I'm like, dude, who are you? <laughs> One guy, I got done preaching, and he was like, let me tell you the four ways that you could have preached better there. I'm like, bro, I just met you. Really? Really that? If you're going to start using your gifts, 
Start using them at a small group with friends who are safe and who trust you and love you and have your back and have your best interests in mind. That's where we can hear critiques on giftings, in the safety of relationship. If my friend Jace here, who preaches lovely, comes up to me after this sermon and says, let me tell you the four ways that you could have preached better, I'll be like, come on, bro, share it with me. I'm ready to hear it, right? Why? Because we know one another. We trust one another. Okay, that's enough for today. Why don't you join me in standing?